You're listening to Wiretap with Jonathan Goldstein on CBC Radio 1 and Sirius Satellite Radio 137. Today's episode, Morty and God. As long as God could remember, there was always Morty. Before there were planets, before there were people, before there was even light, there was the sweaty little bald-headed man in the plaid suit named Morty. And as long as there was Morty, there was Morty's worrying, his running around after God, scribbling away on his clipboard and nagging about deadlines. Where had the little nervous Nellie come from, God wondered. Morty wasn't exactly an angel, and he certainly wasn't a demon. It wasn't clear what exactly he was. A mascot? A cosmic pain in the ass? Perhaps just some form of radioactive fallout from the creation of the universe. God would trace his thinking back and try to recall the first time he had ever seen Morty. But it was no use. He had no recollection of having ever created him. Which was weird, because God had a pretty good sense of recall. He remembered the creation of the cosmos like it was yesterday. And when he thought back to the moment he cooked up his first black hole, he could envision everything he was wearing right down to his tie clip. Yet when he tried to summon something, anything, about the genesis of Morty, his mind was a complete blank. And yet there Morty was, chasing at his heels like a bitey chihuahua, always admonishing God to try harder. That Dalmatian can use more spots, Morty would say, abacus in hand. Make this mud muddier. Make that mustard more mustardy. When Morty started in on him, God would think a great many things. Stuff along the lines of, why don't you get off my back and create your own universe? But in the end, he just didn't have the heart. He stared at his little nitpicking assistant. I've been racking my brain lately, said the Almighty. But for the life of me, I can't seem to remember where we met. When exactly did I create you? You're asking me, Morty said. And the two old friends fell into contemplative silence. When David slayed Goliath, Morty and God sat watching in heaven. That kid's really something else with a sling, said God. And you deserve no credit, laughed Morty. You and that kid are some team. With his moxie and your omnipotence, I really think you're going to take him places. After Goliath fell, the Philistines scattered. And as was the custom in those days, David set about cutting off the head of his fallen adversary. But as good as David was with a sling, he wasn't so hot with a hatchet. And so, after about a half hour of messily hacking away, it was clear to all those watching that David was having a hell of a time decapitating the giant. I'm getting nauseous watching the mess he's making, said Morty. For heaven's sake, step in and do something. But God shook his head no. Slaying I'll help with, said the Lord, but decapitating... That is in the domain of man. But I'm trying to eat a sandwich here, said Morty, covering his eyes. Man judges by appearance, said the Lord, but God judges by the heart. That does it, said Morty. When you get like this, there's no talking to you. Anytime God came up with some fun little personal project for himself... Morty would remonstrate. According to Morty, 
any deviation from the master plan, a plan that God himself was the master of, Morty would carry on like it was going to throw the whole universe off its axis. Part the Dead Seas and Morty became apoplectic. Invent a platypus and Morty quotes you regulations. What Morty couldn't understand, little well-meaning pencil pusher that he was, was that every few hundred years, God just needed to liven things up for himself a bit, to cut loose and show off his chops, really prove to himself that he still had it. On this particular occasion, God wanted to try his hand at creating a being more beautiful than any other he had ever created. He showed Morty his etchings. You're tampering with the master plan, Morty shouted. By creating something so absurdly wondrous, you'll make the hand of the creator too apparent, and then there will no longer be cause for faith. When they see this creature that you plan, people will know in their minds of your existence, in a way that they should only know of in their hearts. Despite all of Morty's warnings, God had set his mind on creating his work of ultimate beauty. Crazy, stupid, asinine beauty. She's going to make Cleopatra look like a clogged toilet, said Morty. Bathsheba? Delilah? Pack of dogs compared to this one. As Morty spoke, he paced back and forth, clutching his heart like Red Fox. And so, on the tenth day of the third month, Despite Morty's huffy attitude, God brought into the world the most exquisite creature the world had ever seen. Her parents named her Sharon. As she grew older, she grew more beautiful. Her hair was lush and blonde, her lips puffy and as red as if she just put down a glass of cherry wine. Her skin was flawless, and her eyes, when they turned to you, were so piercing, it was as though she was seeing through to your very soul. Periodically, Morty checked in with God, just to register his concern. I hope you're satisfied, Morty said. She's like a peephole into heaven. Thank you, said God. I'm not here to flatter you, said Morty. She disrupts the integrity of creation. Duly noted, said God. Anything else? Yes, said Morty. And then he took a deep breath. She wants to be an actress. Really? asked God. Are you sure? Yeah, said Morty. She's gotten a couple of cameos on T.J. Hooker and Remington Steele. God felt cheapened. He looked upon his work and saw that it was no good. What's worse, Morty was right. His most sublime creation, the beautiful Sharon, doing crappy nighttime dramas. Give them free will for this? The Lord was nauseous. As the years went by, she got into movies, but the situation did not improve. Police Academy 4, Action Jackson, Diary of a Hitman, wall-to-wall -wall crap. What did you expect, asked Morty. She should sit on a velvet cushion all day wearing a tiara? People have to make a living with what they've got. That's life. Before drifting off to sleep, God would reflect on the failed universes he had created, the ones before this one, the ones that, for various reasons, just didn't come together. No one had any knowledge of these worlds, but God of course knew of them, and knew as well how awful it was to end them. Creation was child's play compared to that. 
No one could possibly know what a burden destroying an entire universe was to carry around. And yet, he wondered if Morty knew. He wondered just how much that neurotic little insurance salesman actually knew. There were moments where Morty looked at him, in this certain way, a way that God himself looked at things, that led him to think that maybe Morty knew more than he was letting on. But how could it be possible? The Lord knew everything right down to the half-conscious dog dreams of a border collie lying on a sunbeam in Butte, Montana. But Morty, there was just something about him, some cosmic glitch that shrouded him in a cloud of mystery. God would think, had he created Morty as a result of a personal challenge, an ill-advised stab at navigating the waters of paradox? If you are omnipotent, he might have soliloquized, if you can do anything at all, create for yourself a being that you will later have no recollection of having ever created. Despite your omniscience, create a being that quite flummoxes you. Create a being that for all intents and purposes makes your day-to-day -day grind all the more difficult, your leisure time overwrought with constant reminders, and your sleep interrupted with the ever-present sound of worried pacing in the hallway. In the churches, people spoke of how they were made in God's image. What they did not talk of, what they could not have possibly known, was how they were also possessed of a fair bit of Morty, without which they would probably end up sitting around all day admiring sunsets and rainbows, never seeing their way to doing the dishes or getting their taxes done. It was God that created the universe, but it was that little bit of Morty that helped make the world go round. Where's the banana peel? That's, that's my whole theological philosophy of life. Where's the banana peel? I was raised with a lot of religion and a lot of God, so, uh, and a lot of Bible training. And one of the things that you start to pick up on is that there's always this sort of uh, lesson or sort of moral subtext in every death that uh, the big one for me was Moses that he he sinned one time and spent 40 years looking for the promised land and then he died like you know at the one yard line like God killed him and didn't let him in and so I kind of grew up with this feeling that I was always wondering what God's joke line is for me like where if I could just figure that out as I go along, then maybe I could somehow avoid it. Like if I could, if I see the banana peel, then I won't slip on it because I know somebody put it there. Yeah, pretty much every day, a number of times a day, I'll think of what I'm doing and wonder if that's it. And I, uh, I obsess a lot and I panic. And I get very nervous over, you know, if I'm, am I playing into, into the joke writer's hand? When my son was born, it was every five minutes. Because that seemed like such a perfect opportunity. You know, what would be the funny, horrible thing that could happen here? 
uh, I suppose the addition that we built for the new baby could collapse and kill the new baby, and then that lesson will be whatever. And that, I think, is what feeds into this idea of I better not enjoy anything because the moment I enjoy it, uh, that sword of Damocles gets raised overhead and comes flying down. It's foolish, and you know it, and it is self-fulfilling because you, then you never enjoy anything. And maybe that's maybe that's the big joke. Maybe that's the big gotcha. You know, I got you so scared. You know, nothing ever happened, but you were sure you, you didn't you didn't live happily knowing it might. You consider yourself a spiritual person. Yeah, deeply. Were you always spiritual? Well, I have a spirit. Mm-hmm. And you have a spirit. I mean, everybody has a spirit. Mm-hmm. I guess it's just how connected you are to that spirit. And I'm joined at the hip with my spirit. We're really tight. That's how I feel. Uh, okay, I've prepared for you um, some questions, spiritual questions that I was hoping you could answer. Okay? Okay, sure. And um, we're going to try to get through as many as we can as quickly as we can. Because we don't have um, a lot of time, but I have a lot of questions. Okay. And, and I was hoping that maybe you'd have a lot of answers. Okay, go ahead. But, uh, let's just cue up the music. Okay, here we go. Mm-hmm. Very game showy. Yeah. Um, all right, so here we go. Your first question. Y'all set? Yeah. Which weighs more, an angel or a beam of light? A beam of light. Next. All right, what is the meaning of life? The meaning of life is basically next. Who does God love more, flowers or rainbows? Next. Is this flowers or rainbows? Flowers. Which does Satan love more? Flowers. Which does Satan hate more? Flowers. If you were going to fight Satan, would you use kickboxing, kung fu, or taekwondo? I'd use a variety of different styles, plus grappling and jujitsu. If you just had to choose one. I mean, all three of those would be completely ineffective against Satan. I think anybody would know okay. that. If you just had to choose one. That's just an ignorant question. I, we need to fight the okay, devil. let's move on. Why do bad things happen to good people? Uh, more often than not, they deserve it, and they're not so good, despite what people say. Next. Does free will exist? Yes. How do you know? Jumper cable, bandana, maple syrup, video game, mafia, broomstick. That's... That's free will right there. Okay. If angels play harps, what do demons play? Demons, I think a French horn's very difficult instrument. They say it's the most difficult wind instrument. I say French horn. Does everyone deserve a happy ending? No, absolutely not. Some people just need to go out in flames. Like? Kamikaze pilots, professional wrestlers, gangsters, daredevils, Klingons. Klingon doesn't want to go out, you know, you know, have a happy ending. Klingon wants to go out and go out with honor. Kerpla. Kerpla? You should get yourself a Klingon dictionary. Next. What is the worst deed a man can commit? Leaving food on his plate. Complete this sentence. Because the world is round. Mm-hmm. Complete it. The world is round completed? No, no. Because the world is round, dot, dot, dot. Mm-hmm. Complete that sentence. What sentence are we talking about here? Because the world is round. Yeah. That's the sentence that you're supposed to do. Okay, forget. Let's skip that one. How do you keep from thinking about elephants? Think about mice. 
and they won't enter your thoughts. Can only God make a tree? Mm, yeah, no. Okay, the lightning round is over. All right. We're going to move on to the final Jeopardy portion okay. of the questioning. Okay. Right. Here we go. If you had one minute of God's time, okay, just one minute, right. what would you ask him? Now, here's the clock. Uh, would I ask him? I mean, I'd ask him, you know, I mean, why do clouds look like things? That's, that'd be my number one question, you know. Five seconds. Like, dead bunny rabbits upside down, you know, from a hunter's back. 20 seconds. Agonizing looks on their faces. Why Why? why do clouds look like that most of the time? That's, that's what I'd ask him. Okay, you got 35 seconds left. Um... That's basically it, just the cloud thing and what did it look like, like bunny rabbits hanging upside down. Yeah, you've still got about a half a minute, Howard. <clears throat> um, I guess I'd ask him, you know, like how he's doing and... You've got 20 more seconds. <clears throat> well, oh, uh, I've always wanted to, you know, I mean, why, why, why can't we graze like cows? Like, you're hungry, you go into the neighbor's yard, you eat some lawn, you know, and... That's something I've always wondered. Why, why can't humans graze? And okay, and your minute's up. Okay. That's pretty good. I've, I feel good about that one. All right. Well, the, the, uh, the, well, that's. Um, I guess that concludes it. Thanks for participating. Well, uh, but you're kind of forgetting a little something, I think. You know, at the end of a game show, you know, thank you for participating. Here's some complimentary parting gifts. Some kind of like life supply, like macaroni or something, or... Okay, well, I don't know. Oh, come by the office. I'll give you uh, some mugs or something. I don't know. I got some magazines. You want some magazines? Well, I was kind of thinking of, like, I don't know, like a, a watch or something or a... I don't have any... Snowboard or... I don't have anything like that, Howard. It's not a real game show. Well, well, look, you know, all right, it's fine, you know, I enlightened, you know, the Canadian public. I mean, that's, that's something, right? See, that, that, there you go. So I'll, I'll, I'll speak to you later on that. All right. Okay. Okay. Uh, John? Yeah. Uh, okay, I'll take the magazine. Okay. All right. Okay, how? All right, John. Take care. Now. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 Bye-bye. When I was five, I went through this phase that I still haven't entirely outgrown. I always wanted to know where everything I saw came from, and God was always the answer everyone gave me. No matter what I asked, it was God. Who made that tree? God. Who made the sky? God. Who made the ocean, the mountains, and even me? God, God, God. Sometimes it felt like God was just another word for, leave me alone and stop asking dumb questions. And then, when I was six, I had a sort of an epiphany. I remember when it struck me, too. I was lying in the living room, on my back, on the carpet, the sun streaming through the window. It was like a bolt of lightning. Who made God? Someone must have. I could hardly believe that I was the first person who had ever put two and two together like this. Everything comes from somewhere. So where did God come from? I'd ask everyone I'd meet to see if they had any ideas. He didn't come from anywhere, my father would say. He's just always been there. That's impossible, I'd say. Then why couldn't the oceans always be here, or the whole world always be here? It just 
didn't make any sense, and I couldn't let it go. And so when I was seven, I decided to read the Bible. But really, the only thing I was interested in was the first page. Beginning of everything, even God. But right there on that very first page, there was God already there, creating this and saying that. I flipped backwards to make sure I hadn't missed anything, but there was only a table of contents. Maybe the first pages had been torn out, I thought. The stuff that describes who God's God was. So when I went to my grandparents' house, I looked in their Bible, but it was the same story. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. No prequel. No nothing. By the time I was eight, I sort of gave up on ever knowing. But I'd still think about God a lot. It was always the first question I'd ask anybody new that I met. Do you believe in God? And so, when I was nine, I remember having this conversation with my uncle Abi. It was after Thanksgiving, and everyone was just hanging out on the couch with their belts undone, bragging about how much food they'd ate. When I asked Abi if he believed in God, and Abi said he did, but that it didn't make any big whoop either way anyhow. But knowing that one day you're going to be in heaven, I said. Doesn't that make everything happier? I knew that was how I felt. I thought about heaven all the time. It made going to school a lot easier, knowing that one day I'd be living in a candy factory in the clouds or something. Abe though didn't get it. Happier? He asked. Let's not get nuts here. God or no God, not everything's always going to be one big fat hallelujah all the time. Once you've had psoriasis, you'll see what I mean. By the time you've had your first angioplasty and your first divorce and your lousy thieving business partner stabbed you in the back a few times, you'll be whistling a different tune. Then he started cursing under his breath. I guess he had a point, but still, what kind of way is that to talk to a kid? Then, by the time I was ten, I saw that believing in God wasn't necessarily something that changed people much. People who believed often seemed as boring and depressed about life as the people who didn't. And a lot of the people who didn't believe, like Sonny, the guy who delivered our groceries, without any heaven to look forward to, still seemed pretty happy-go-lucky. It was hard to see what it was that made people the way they were. So then, by the time I was eleven. I pretty much forgot about God, not entirely, of course, but it wasn't the same as before.、It、just seemed like there really was no way to know if He was there or not, and whether you believed in Him or you didn't believe in Him, just didn't seem to make that big a difference in the world anyhow. Also, maybe I got tired of my mother telling me all the time that it was rude to keep asking people questions of a religious nature. So. By the time I was twelve, I became interested in other things entirely—things that you could touch and see and hear, like movies, manga, comic books, and superhero action figures. Captain Marvel was my favorite. And then, somewhere around the age of thirteen, I came up with the idea that maybe, if there was a god up there, that we were something like a comic book or a movie for him. 
since it must get boring being up there in heaven all day. He probably looked to earth for a little entertainment. Whether I could ever know it for sure or not, I liked imagining that. Thinking that someone is watching everything you do makes everything you do feel more important somehow. It's a bit of a scary thought, but cool too. Last year, when I was 14, I really got into the whole goth thing. I begged my mother to let me get black wallpaper for my room, and eventually we compromised on this dark gray color that neither of us really liked. But it was around that time that I started to believe that there was definitely something out there—aliens, cosmic forces, magic, something. When you stop to think about it. Things were just too weird and freaky for there not to be. I mean, have you ever really looked at a bat? Who could come up with such a thing? It was like God was practically yelling at us. Listen, I'm up here making weird stuff, you big dummies. But at the same time, it was like the whole world and everyone in it was trying to make you forget that everything was strange and mysterious. By loading you up with homework and chores, they kept you from looking through the clouds and thinking too hard about the important stuff. My favorite move back then was holding up a five-dollar bill in someone's face and telling them that money was an illusion. That was the year my father started calling me the religious fanatic from Middle Earth. Now that I'm fifteen, all that feels like a hundred years ago. And for the most part, I'm more confused than ever. Most of the time, I don't think about God at all, and then it'll come over me in a flash, this feeling that everything's going to be all right. And I guess that's the closest I ever get to actually believing or thinking that I know that He's there. It's sort of like a feeling of being watched, but also being held in this huge hand. It's hard to explain exactly, but. It's a feeling that I like, and when it happens, I usually try to keep it going as long as I can. Sometimes it takes a lot of concentration. Sometimes it takes a little beer, but whenever it comes over me, it makes me feel like I'm a kid again, like I've fallen asleep in the car, or have only pretended to fall asleep. My dad is carrying me into the house and up to my bed, and everything is out of my hands. But good enough, just as it is. On Wiretap today, you heard Shalom Auslander, Howard Chakowitz, and Zach Stevens. Wiretap is written by Jonathan Goldstein and produced by Jonathan Goldstein with Mira Bertwintonic, Wendy Dor, and Carolyn Warren. Reach us through our website at cbc.ca/wiretap.